As you follow along in the bulletin, you can see that the outline, and given the title to this morning's message, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world. In John, the 16th chapter, we have learned that Jesus is still instructing his apostles regarding his going back to heaven and the Holy Spirit coming to minister here on the earth. And we noted that in verses 1 through 15, in case you've forgotten, in verses 1 through 15, that these are a unit. And they build off of really four key expressions, in my opinion, that are given by the Lord here. In verse 1, where he said, I have spoken to you. In verse 5, where he says, I am going. In verse 7, where he says um, that I will send him to you. And then again in verse 12, where he says, I have many more things to say to you. So it's built off his expressions in his instruction to them, the scriptures themselves giving us the outline. We saw the specifics in verses 1 through 4 were centered on the apostles themselves. In this unit, he first of all centered on them since he's primarily instructing them. And he centered the teaching because he did not want them to stumble. He did not want them to be caught off guard. He did not want them to be surprised in verses 1 to 4. About what? About persecution and suffering that would come. Though he had given much instruction, he did not want them to be surprised when it comes. Even though many times we're given warnings, we're given instruction by our parents, by others, by teachers, by pastors, whatever the case might be, spouses, Yet, oftentimes, when things happen, though we were told it would, it's like, how did that happen? And we're caught by surprise. He did not want that to happen to the apostles, so he instructed them further on persecution and suffering. Then as we came to the last text that we dealt with in verses 5 through 7, he once again centered it on the apostles. But this time... He wanted to explain to them that it was to their advantage that he went back to visit with his father, not only because he was preparing a place for them, but so that the Holy Spirit could come in the capacity that we'll again be talking about today, but that he could come and they needed the Holy Spirit. And I spent the whole message on that. Why did they need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? It boils down to this, folks. We cannot, none of us, live the Christian life successfully. It is impossible for a true believer to live the Christian life successfully without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely impossible. You may think that you can do it, you can't, and if you do think that, I guarantee you are failing. We cannot walk the spiritual walk in the power of the flesh. And so it was, he wanted them to understand, you may have been instructed by me basically for three years, because they had been, but if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come, and I can't be with you like this forever. I'm going back to prepare a place. But when he comes, he will enable you basically to have victory in the Christian life. Now as we come to verses 8 through 11 for our text this morning, 
rather than center it on the apostles themselves, he moves and centers it on the world, and specifically the ministry that the Holy Spirit, whom he is sending to them, the ministry that he will have to the world. And that's where we find ourselves in this text as we continue our exposition of the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Now, let me say a couple of things that are foundational but essential. First of all, this does not mean nor imply that the Holy Spirit never had a ministry prior to this. Don't think that way. That's not true. First of all, just like the Son is a member of the triune Godhead, so is the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate that. They are God. There's one true God made up of three persons as we study the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit has always had a ministry. He is called God, for example, in Acts chapter 5, where there was sin involved, and it says you have sinned against the Holy Spirit, and he goes on in the same uh, sentences there to say that you have sinned against God, equivalenting, equivalenting the Holy Spirit, making him equate to God. So he is God. The Holy Spirit was there in creation. We find in the very first book of Genesis that as God created the world, the Spirit moved among the waters. The Holy Spirit has always had a ministry. We find out from Psalm 139, for example, that the Holy Spirit knows everything about us. We cannot escape from the Spirit of God. He knows where we are. He knows what we are doing. He knows what we think. He knows all about us. If we were to go through the pages of the Old Testament, you would find example after example of the Holy Spirit moving. He led many. He indwelled some. Uh, for example, David, Isaiah, Moses, Abraham, just to recall to your mind a few. So what I'm trying to point out is while he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit here, it isn't that he never had a ministry. He has had a ministry. But just like the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, always has been God, and always will be God, there was a specific point in time in which the function of the Son, in which the ministry of the Son was more specific. That is, there was, according to Galatians, when the perfect time had come, God sent forth his son into the world, and it was at that time that Jesus Christ became incarnate. We normally refer to it as Christmas time. That doesn't mean that Jesus Christ never had a ministry in the Old Testament as well. But there was a point in time in which he entered into this world, and God took on flesh. And when he took on flesh, he then ministered and so forth, uh, again, uh, presented the kingdom of God and basically went to the cross of Calvary. That happened at a point in time. He didn't go to the cross of Calvary in the Old Testament. He's never going to go to the cross again. There was a point in time in which a specific ministry was given to him to come to the earth, to minister to man, and to go to the cross in which he would bear the sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we, through faith in him, you read it in Ephesians chapter 2, that God in his marvelous mercy, 
even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, sent his son so that through faith in him, we could receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There was a point in time for him to do that. We need to understand the same thing with the Holy Spirit. There's a point in time in which though the Spirit had ministered, he would come in a specific way and have a specific ministry during this particular age. And it wouldn't happen until the, the, the Son who had come into this world would ascend and go back to heaven. And when he would do that, we have been learning in John's account that he would send another one just like him, a helper to help them. But now he tells us that not only is he going to help them, when he comes in that specific capacity, he is also going to have a ministry to the world. So that's what he's talking about in this particular passage. Now we need to understand that he says that he's going to send him at the end of verse 7, and the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, or the primary ministry, maybe would be a better way to put it, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to the church. It is to the body of Christ. In what way? He comes to indwell. That is a ministry that is unique to this period. Anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation has the Holy Spirit indwelling him. You see, that is unique now. In, in that sense. He was sent for that purpose. And in fact, Romans says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, that is the true evidence that you are not a child of God. And many other things that we look to, it is the Holy Spirit that bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. According to the scriptures, it is the Holy Spirit that seals the believer. He is the down payment. He is the evidence that we belong to God. It is the Holy Spirit, as we have seen, ministering to the church that leads us, that guides us, that is able to teach us. So we know that, and we learn that as we study the scriptures. But that is not the concentration that we now find in John chapter 16. Here, he tells us about the Spirit of God and the ministry that he will have to the world. That is, to the unregenerate. That is to the lost. That is, I believe, to all mankind. And that's what he says. He says in verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict, and I'll talk about those terms in a minute, the world. So he's now moving from the apostles, not wanting them to stumble, from the apostles of saying that it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to come or you can't live this life, to even talking about now the Holy Spirit coming and ministering to the world. Now that raises some questions, again, that are foundational and important as we deal with this text. And that is, it's necessity. Why is it important? Why does the Holy Spirit have to have a ministry to the world? I'm going to tell you why. Because of the condition of man. Because the natural man. Because every human being. Because, put it another way, those who have been created in the image of God, unlike the rest of his creation, but who have only been born into this world physically, have a need. And they are unable to understand the things of God. I'm going to give you a couple of quick points. Number one, they are not able, the natural man, 
Every child that comes into this world or ever has come into this world as they come into this world are unable to discern spiritual matters. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The natural man cannot begin to discern spiritual things. Only the spiritual man can discern those things. Why? He's been equipped with the Holy Spirit. But the person born into this world once, as much as people might want to talk about God, as much as they might want to think about what it's like to understand God, the natural man cannot discern anything on the spiritual level. He's not properly equipped. Secondly, turn with me to your responsive reading, Ephesians chapter 2. If we don't understand this, we're not going to understand why this Holy Spirit has to have this ministry in our text. Number two, the natural man is dead in his trespasses and sins. He is the walking dead. We kid about that, but it's true. You maybe have been bought physically. If you're here today and you have not yet trusted in Christ, if you are not a member of the family of God, you are physically alive, but spiritually you are dead. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you, speaking to believers, were dead. Where? In your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, of the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience. So the natural man, number one, cannot begin to discern spiritual matters. Secondly, he is dead. They go hand in hand, really. Thirdly, the natural man is a child of wrath. Chapter 2, verse 3. Among them, we too, that is now true believers, all formerly lived in what? The lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's where the natural man is. He's just enjoying his sin, basically. And then he says this. And were, he says they were, because he's talking to professing believers now. By nature, what? Children of wrath, even as the rest. So the natural man in the world, someone who has not come to Christ, is unable to discern spiritual things. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. He is a child of wrath. According to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, fourth, he's engaged in evil deeds. And it goes there in that passage to say he is even hostile in his thinking. He hates God. He's hostile toward God. And when you bring up God and you talk about God, and that's why the natural man will fight and resist with that. And some of the kids that went out on surveys did find some people that as soon as they talked about God, they wanted nothing to do with the survey. The natural mind is hostile toward God. Number five, he seeks to suppress the truth. That's Romans chapter 1. It isn't that he doesn't know God because God is revealing himself even through creation, it tells us. But the natural man purposely suppresses the truth. When you talk about the truth, he wants to push it down. He doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to hear it. And when he could understand the things of God, whatever is brought to his attention he doesn't want to hear about it because he knows he would be accountable to God. So Romans chapter 1 clearly states that. 
So he has to have, the Holy Spirit has to have a ministry to the natural man or the world because by himself he's walking dead. He can't understand the things of God. He wants to follow after his sin. He doesn't want anything to do about God. When he hears truth, he wants to suppress it. And if that's not bad enough, let me give you one more. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4, Satan is working hard to blind him to the truth. Now, he's already dead. But even as you and I have opportunity to share the gospel, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Satan is hard at work to blind him so that he thinks, for example, as the Gentiles do, it's stupid. It's foolish to believe that someone could be crucified and provide salvation. And so he's at work as well. And if you stop for a minute and you're here today without Christ, I'm going to tell you, you're in a losing battle as a natural person. Because A, you're dead and you don't know it. B, even though you're dead, you get somebody that's working with a dead person who's already dead himself, and he's trying to blind them even further so they can't see. So how does a person come to Christ? Well, he seeks after God, right? Let me tell you something. That's the third one. Romans 3 says, no one, get this one, no one seeks after God. You say, well, I have friends, and they're saying they're seeking after God, and they're going to church to church. If anyone's going for God, it's only because God went looking for them, and he's already working a drawing. We don't go looking for God. We go looking for fun. We go looking for sin. We go looking for what pleases us. That's what we go looking for. So no one seeks after God. We are blind. Satan's at work. And as we already saw in John chapter 6, and since we're in John, go back there. It sets the tone for what we're studying here. John chapter 6, verse 44. Now we should begin to understand why he says this. In John chapter 6, verse 44, remember this study? How many people? What's the first words there? No one. Nobody. Nana. Nada. Whatever the word is. Nada. No one can come to me unless, what? The Father who sent me, now the Holy Spirit's going to come, draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. You see? Nobody can come to God at all unless God does work. Why? They're dead. Why? Can't understand spiritual things. Why? Seeking after sin. Why? Suppressing the truth. Why? Satan's blinding. They're in trouble. But God's merciful. And so it's very important in our text that the Holy Spirit come, obviously, because dead men would stay dead. So we find out in this text, God must draw them. So if the Holy Spirit doesn't minister to the world, guess what, folks? Bottom line, no one comes to Christ. No one comes to Christ unless the Holy Spirit ministers. We don't do it because we've got a good personality. We were born in the United States of America because uh, we have a lot of money, whatever the case might be. That is not what brings people to God at all. So what is the area of the concentration of the Holy Spirit then in ministry to the world since the world is lost? Here it is in chapter 16, and we find his concentration in verse 8. But before we deal with verse 8, just look at the end of verse 7. He says, I will send him to you. Notice the timing. When he comes, he did not come before this in the capacity that Christ is talking about. This was still future. 
we learn that Christ sends him, he sends the helper, he sends another comforter. And when did it happen? For summation for you, it was Acts chapter 2. When he came at Pentecost. And he came to indwell a church. And he came to minister among them. So it was still future. That's why he's talking to them. When he goes back to heaven, he will send them. Now, when he comes in that capacity, what is his concentration? It's one word. It's the word convict. That's what he says. His concentration is when he comes to convict the world. There is his ministry to the world. It is a term that means reprove, convict, blame, expose. It can be used, and many times is used in a judicial sense. We talk about a conviction today. If there's a conviction, basically it's all over. It's a judicial term that's used to say he's convicted and here's the sentence, and so forth. And it is used that way, for example, in James chapter 2, verse 9. I won't turn there, but I'll give it to you. And that's when they were showing partiality. And the same term is used when he says, if you show partiality, you have committed sin, and then he says this, and are convicted by the law in a judicial sense. You're, you're drawn in to be charged. And uh, that's what he points out. But I think here in the text, if you look at the text, I think because of what he says and because of the fact that Jesus Christ and the Father, particularly the Father, then through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit have to draw people to himself, it has more and is probably best understood to expose or to make aware such as in 1 Corinthians, again, I'll give you another reference, chapter 14, verse 24. There's many uses of this term in different ways. But in that chapter, that's where an unbeliever comes into an assembly who's exercising the gift of prophecy. And as they do it, what it says of the unbeliever, rather than seeing confusion with tongues, when somebody's prophesying, the unbeliever is brought under, same term, conviction. Because the word of God is, is being prophesied penetrates the heart and is saying to them, you are not guiltless. You are to be blamed. And they are exposed to the things of God. So I do believe what it's saying here, that when he says he convicts the world, and I could get into a lot more on the term, but he says he will convict, the Holy Spirit exposes the unbeliever. He's the only one that can do that. He exposes the unbeliever to sin with the idea of calling him to repentance. That is the objective, to convict, but whether they respond or not. And by the way, let me just say another note here. Conviction is not conversion. I'll say that again. Conviction is not conversion. Conviction is necessary for conversion, but it is not conversion. Without conviction, you won't get a conversion. But just because you have conviction doesn't mean that the person's been converted. We need to be aware of that. The Holy Spirit exposes the world. They're all exposed to their guilt, but only those who repent and come to Christ are saved. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples. The religious leaders all through the New Testament, they were brought under conviction time after time about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was saying and by the apostles, and they couldn't charge him. But they didn't necessarily come to Christ. Nicodemus did and some others did. Remember the rich young ruler? 
He basically said, I've followed all the rules and so forth. And then as soon as the Lord dealt with his money, he went away sad. He was brought into conviction, but he didn't get converted. He was just convicted because the Holy Spirit exposed. That's what he was doing. He exposed him. Now, I'll deal with that sin singular in just a second. Pilate had the same thing. And I'm just trying to make you see that even when a person comes under conviction, he knew that Jesus Christ was innocent. He said so. And he knew he was wrong. But what did he do? Had him crucified anyway. You see, he didn't get converted. He didn't get converted at all. Now, how does this conviction by the Holy Spirit happen? And we'll deal with the specifics in a moment. It deals with two, by two ways, and I want you to get this again. One is it happens by the preaching of the word. It's called evangelism, folks, and it's you and me. I don't know why that screen is still up there, but it's you and it's me. I didn't know except I saw people still looking up there. Okay? I, I thought I did something over there. But the preaching of the word, it's called the foolishness of preaching by sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit does the work. But we have to, and that's the second part of it, the gospel has to be preached, the good news. The world needs the good news. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. Listen carefully. There is evangelists in this world that have that gift. And there is a place for meetings, such as the men's meeting, in which you have evangelistic programs and have it in the church. Nothing wrong with that at all. I'm going to tell you something else. There's a lot of Christians that call for evangelistic meetings, and we need more evangelism, and they are not evangelizing themselves. And every single believer has been called to present the gospel to somebody else. We have good news, and we're holding on to it. We ought to give it out. We have the message that the world needs. We don't do the convicting. We don't draw them. The Father does that. But the mechanism that he uses, first of all, is the word of God. And we ought to stop being ashamed of the word of God and start telling our neighbors and friends and loved ones. We need more personal evangelism. Rather than there's all kinds of conferences and meetings going on and everybody studies about evangelism and then they don't go out and do it. Secondly, he not only uses the word, the foolishness of preaching, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but he uses the lives of believers as living epistles. We ought to preach the word and let God give the increase. We ought to live our lives as living epistles read of all men. And I'll be honest with you folks, we can't be a living epistle read of all men if our life is not in order. And many of us are ashamed as what's going on in our lives and rather as Christians to get it straightened out, we continue on that way. We don't witness and we don't let our lives because everybody knows who knows us well what our lives are really like, not what it's like when we come in this building. We need to be vessels for the master's use, yes. And the Holy Spirit will do his work. So John tells us some specifics now. He gives us generally three areas of conviction, then the reasons for the areas of conviction. Notice them. He says the Holy Spirit will convict. Now, how does he do that again? Through the word. How does he do that? Through believers in their lives, in witnessing and bringing forth the word of God. That's what he will use. This text doesn't deal with all of that. But his work will be to convict to cause them to be at blame, to cause them to come under conviction. In what areas? Three, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now let me say this about those three areas right away. 
These all deal with the area of our spiritual condition. What? Yes. The lost, all have sinned. The believer has been forgiven. Righteousness. All the lost have come short of the righteousness of God. There is not one righteous, no, not one. The believer, he's declared righteous. Just to differ a little bit with Pastor Chris this morning, he said, then in glory we will receive the righteousness. We are declared righteous now. Not that I, what I'm saying is, yeah, we get it in perfection later, but the believer is declared righteous now. Sin, righteousness, and also what? Judgment. The believer is guilty. The wages of sin is death. Spiritual death, the second death. What do we find for um, the unbeliever? What do we find for the believer? No condemnation. There is no judgment. So that's why he convicts in these three areas. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's all ascension, essential. So his work is, first of all, in the area of sin. You'll notice it's singular. It's not plural. We think of the sins. We think of the lusts. We think of the lying. I can't remember all the ones that he said this morning, but it's true. And those are the sins that are going on where we violate the law. It's the missing of the mark. But you'll notice it's singular here. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose here with sin, uh, with this conviction, is to convict the world of sin singular. And what is it? He tells you in the explanation, because, as he gets into this peri, as he goes into these terms, he says, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. That is the ultimate sin, folks. It's not adultery, adultery sin. It's not murder, murder sin. But it is rejection of God's provision in Jesus Christ. The world doesn't want to talk about Jesus Christ. It doesn't want to talk about him being the only way. We have to be pluralistic. We have to open ourselves to multiculturalism. And everyone has their own way. And we need to accept everybody's way. The only way that counts is God's way. And God's way is one way. And it's narrow. And it's only through Jesus Christ. Period. And it doesn't matter whether it's Jew or Gentile, which covers the world. Everybody needs the same message. And so he brings them to conviction because they do not believe on Christ. That's it. Go back with me to John chapter 3. Let's just look at John. John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verse 17. Everybody knows verse 15, 16, right? Uh, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him should be saved. Jump down to verse 36, all the way to the end of the passage. He who believes in the son has eternal life. What's the issue? He who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, and that is no joke. Tonight we'll be talking about the white throne judgment. That is no joke whatsoever. And I don't care what anyone's writing. I already gave the message on hell. There is a real hell. 
and there is real punishment. And you might be sitting here today saying, I believe there's other ways, and I don't think there is a hell. Hell is on earth. You are in for a shock if you die in that condition because you're going to find out that it is real because you are going to die. The issue is rejection of Christ. In verse 18, I skipped over, I didn't mean to. He who believes in the Son is not judged. He who does not believe in the excuse me, he who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten, the unique Son of God, the only one true way of salvation. So the Holy Spirit is working on convicting them about that sin. The one issue. That is that Jesus Christ was the provision for sin. It's not an issue of sinners. We're all sinners. And there's all kinds of sin. When you're talking with somebody and they talk about, oh, well, uh, you know, God can't forgive me, I committed murder. Or I'm not like anybody else. All I do is little white lies. And all I do is uh, think about this or think about that. And I'm not as bad as somebody else. Those are sins. Listen, the issue is do you believe that Jesus Christ died for sin to satisfy the righteousness of God? What? No, God, no way. That's the issue. That's the ultimate sin. Chapter 5, verse 24, same book. Chapter 5, verse 24. This is just stuff for study. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who had sent me has eternal life. Does not come into judgment, pass from life. Verse 40, same text. And you are unwilling to come to me, Jesus Christ said. Why? So that you might have life. Where is the life found? It's only in the Son. And when it's talking about the Father and the Son, the Father sent the Son as the only means and uh, provision of salvation. Chapter 8, same book. Verse 24. Chapter 8. Therefore I said to you that you will die, watch this, in your sins, plural, unless you what? Believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. What's the issue? The belief. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God, yes. And as we present the word of God, that's why he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, Paul said. We are not to be ashamed of the good news. What is the good news? We have to talk about sin, but the good news is the provision is found in Jesus Christ, and that's the issue. They won't believe in that. They brought in the conviction. They are without excuse as we present the gospel. So... Here he points out that the ultimate sin, and that's why he convicts the world of sin, and that sin is the rejection of Christ. That's the sin. Jesus pointed out that to men as he came on the earth. He said, you won't come to me and believe. Now he's going back to heaven. The Holy Spirit's being sent. Why? To primarily convict them that, yes, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Second, of righteousness. He says he's going to convict them of righteousness. Why is that? Because the world has its own standard of righteousness. Now, by the way, I am going through a lot here just for purposes of the Sunday morning message. I could go into the detail in all of this because people have, what, what sin is he talking about? What righteousness is he talking about? And is it conviction? I'm giving you the answer that I believe, and that's what you're hearing. On the righteousness, he gives you the explanation again. He says, as he goes on, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. I think it's explanatory within the verse. What is that? The world establishes its own righteousness. 
So it's, he's convicting the world about their standard of righteousness. It's what it is. It's, if you will, Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Let's turn to that verse. Romans 10, 3. You see, some take this as it's talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he's going, no, 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 no. He's convicting the world of their sin. What sin of unbelief? He's convicting the world of their righteousness. What righteousness? The one that they are establishing on their basis. And because Jesus Christ is going to be gone not to talk about that, the Holy Spirit again is going to come and convict them of that area. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness, now watch, and seeking to establish their own, own what? Righteousness. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That ties in this whole passage that we're dealing with in John chapter 16. You see? When Jesus Christ came on the scene, you had, for example, the Pharisees and Sadducees who were basically establishing their own righteousness and looking good. And the Lord came along and said, you are basically white on the inside and on the outside and filthy on the inside. You've heard that it has been said that this is what establishes righteousness, that you basically don't commit adultery. I tell you that a man who's ever looked on another woman and lusted after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You've heard that it said that you just don't have to murder. You want to find out God's standard of righteousness? It's that if you've even thought in your heart hatred towards somebody, committed murder already in your heart. I'm paraphrasing those passages. You see, Jesus Christ came on and confronted the leaders with this over and over and over again. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. They're speaking of Jesus Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus Christ came into the world. He said, I'm the Messiah. Jesus Christ came into the world and said, all of your righteousness, he basically lived and preached what he said in the Old Testament through Isaiah. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. Establish all the righteousness you want, and it's filthy. But only the Son of God, who knew no sin, could take on the sin of the world. And the Holy Spirit comes and he convert, convicts the world because the world is establishing its own righteousness based upon religion, based upon man's standards. Well, I'm not as bad as the other guy. Well, I can get to heaven by good works. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 2? Not of works lest anyone should boast. No one gets to heaven through good works, through being religious. That is man's standard, and it is the Spirit of God. If somebody has truly come to Christ... You were brought under conviction about that, that your righteousness amounts to nothing. The only righteousness that counts is Jesus Christ. And since he's going back to heaven, the Holy Spirit carries on that ministry. And that's why the Lord teaches he won't speak of himself. He'll speak about me. Why? He's the righteousness of God. So he convicts the world about its sin of not believing on Christ. He convicts the world of they're trying to establish righteousness, which they cannot do, and Jesus Christ is the only righteousness. And then thirdly, he says, and he explains it again, that he will convict the world about judgment. Why? Verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has 
been judged. He convicts them of the judgment. Man doesn't think judgment's coming. He sees judgment as nothing to worry about, jokes about hell and so forth. Doesn't see it, but he convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts, why? Satan was judged at the cross. He's already defeated. Go back in just John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Verse 31. There couldn't be any clearer. We just studied that not too long ago. The judgment is upon this world. Watch what he says. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. At the cross of Jesus Christ, to make it very clear, to make it very clear, at the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan was judged. And if he's judged, and he has been and will be, Believers, I'm sorry, unbelievers, natural men will not escape the judgment of God. And they think they will. But it's according to God's standard of righteousness. It's according to God's concept of really what the sin is, and that is rejection of the Son. And when you don't think you're going to be accountable, you will be. And death is coming. And a second death is coming to those who do not believe. It is very clear. And honestly, John's gospel helps us, and I won't turn back to this one, but in John chapter 7, we already learned as the Lord was teaching, what did he say? Judge what kind of judgment? Righteous judgment, not according to appearance. That is the way the natural man judges. He judges by appearance. Maybe a poor example, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, and it didn't work yesterday. But yesterday, early afternoon, I was refereeing a college game, and we were inside the penalty area. I was the referee, and a player tried to cut between two people, went down, and the coach screamed at me. There's a penalty kick. Look at how bad that was. And I don't know why, but I turned around and says, it's not according to the appearance. The person tried to run through two other people and fell. And she just mumbled, not according to her parents. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> and, and you know, I didn't win on that one. But my point was, it didn't look good. But I guarantee, I have full confidence, when she goes back and looks at the film, she's going to see, she did push through and fall. She didn't get tripped. But it looked horrible. And I'm just trying to illustrate that because what you've got is a situation where that's what the Lord's been telling them. Don't judge by the outside. Because we even look at people who appear to be, according to the word of God, successful. And they don't seem to suffer. Even the psalmist had that problem. Why are the unjust? And we look at the appearance and say, well, there's no God. God's not around. There's no judgment coming. And that's what man does. And he is saying the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of the sin of rejecting Christ. He's coming to convict the world of their standard of righteousness because the standard of righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and not man's. And he's going to convict them that judgment is coming. And the evidence is even the, the ruler of this world has already been judged. That's the ministry that the Holy Spirit has. And listen, that's important to you and I to understand. Why? That is not our ministry. It is the Holy Spirit's job, and he will do a fine job of it, 
to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There is no argument that you and I can have, whether you've got a doctorate degree or two doctorate degrees or only a first grade education. It doesn't matter. God has chosen to use the foolishness of preaching and he's chose to use earthen vessels like you and I to simply yield to the Spirit of God and do what we are supposed to do. And what is that? Preach the word. God gives the increase. No one is going to come to salvation. Be honest. Haven't you been to some situations and you think if I, I've had phone calls on that. Pastor Dan, you got a couple of verses on this. If I only had the, wait a minute. Did you have an opportunity to witness? Yeah, but I, I didn't have those. Did you give him the word of God? Yeah. Leave the rest with the Holy Spirit. He knows what he's doing. I get appalled, I'll be honest with you. You know, I just, my heart before you. I get appalled when I hear people saying, I had this uh, convention or I had this ministry and I led 2,000 people to Christ. You didn't lead one person to Christ. Now understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't witness. The Holy Spirit does the work and the Father's the one that draws them. You see, that's why we ought to have confidence. We never fail. Go out and do what we're supposed to do. Give the tracks out. Give the word of God out. Let God do the work, but don't ever go away saying, oh, I failed, I didn't do what I had to do. Did you remain to be a witness? Are you walking as a light? Are you sharing the word of God? Christ sent the Holy Spirit. He'll do the rest. I didn't come to Christ. Now, in my particular case, my, sis my sister as well as many others witnessed to me. But I didn't come to Christ because of that. It was, she was a mechanism that God used. It was because God went right through everything in my life and convicted me that the message was right, that I needed Jesus Christ. And he convicted me of that. He did the work. And anyone here that knows Christ, he did the same thing in your life. And so we ought to go out of here with confidence, with zeal. And he's telling his apostles that, look, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. That's what he's been teaching. I'm not going to leave you without help. Don't be surprised by persecution. I don't want you to be surprised by that. Keep going. I don't want you to think for one minute, verses 7 through 10, I'm sorry, 5 through 7, I don't want you to think for one minute you can have victory in your life on your own. You can't because it's in, to your advantage that the Holy Spirit come and by his working in your life, you'll be able to live the Christian life. But also I want you to remember something else. I'm going to also send him so that when he comes, he'll do his work. What is that? Convict the world of sin, because I'm going away, he's got to do it. Convict the world of their standard of righteousness, why? I won't be here any longer to show them perfect righteousness. He will talk about that standard, how? Through the word of God. And he will convict them of judgment to come, why? Because the world doesn't think there's judgment. They think it's a joke. But even, this, even the one who is the ruler of this world has already been judged. And he'll do the work. And that was an encouragement to the apostles because he just wanted them to go forth and sow the seed. And folks, that's what we are called to do, to sow the seed and leave the results to the Lord.
He will do his work. I close with this question to myself. Are we doing our work? Are we really evangelizing? Are we embarrassed? Are we afraid of man rather than the fear of God? Are we afraid of conf confronting people when they have their own standard of righteousness or they think that there's many ways? Are we afraid when people are talking about judgment, they don't want to hear about it? Folks, don't worry about the persecution. Don't worry about it in your own power. Rely on the Holy Spirit. He'll do his work. God will give the increase. And you know what? Others will get saved. You want to see this church filled with people? You say, Pastor Dan, I don't know. We're not having the right programs. Pastor Dan, I don't know what you're doing in that room, but you're not doing it right because people aren't growing, coming to Christ. Here's a question. You know what? Pastor Dan's probably failing in a lot of areas, and I am. But what in the world are you doing? Are you out there witnessing? Are you sharing the gospel? Because if that's the case, we're going to see people come to Christ. Baptism class will be filled. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. Guaranteed. Let's just yield to the Spirit of God and watch what God does. That's what he wanted his apostles to do. He just wanted them to yield to the Spirit of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I do thank you and praise you that the Holy Spirit not only has a ministry to believers, we're grateful for that. We are so thankful that he indwells us and assures our spirit that we are the children of God. I'm so grateful for that. Father, I have to admit there's been times I, as a pastor, as a believer, have failed to share the gospel. I've been embarrassed. We're not proud of that, Father, but we fail. We're we look to you. Help us, Father, to have victory over that. Help us, Father, with boldness to just preach the gospel and realize that you sent the Holy Spirit. Came at Pentecost, and he's in a capacity now to convict the world of sin, and that is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. Help us to be bold in saying that he's the only way, the one sent by you, the Messiah, the Deliverer. And I pray that we leave the rest with you. We thank you that you do convict the world while it establishes its own righteousness and religion and all these things that, Father, there's only one standard, and that's you who are perfectly holy and perfectly righteous and your Son who is the manifestation of righteousness in the flesh. Help us to point people to him. Help us to remember that there's no arguments that we use that can convince them even of judgment. Help us to bring forth the word of God and allow the spirit of God who takes the natural man and is able to help him to understand spiritual things, to draw him to the cross of Christ. And I pray, Father, that we'd see the effect in our lives and we'd see others coming to Christ because we're yielding to the Spirit of God. Thank you that he has that ministry and the pressure's not on us, but help us to do what you've called us to do, and that is to preach the word. Thank you for this time. We pray that it would stir us up even this week to tell others about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.